If you would this morning, morning, turn with me to Mark, the Gospel according to Mark, and chapter 16. I'll remind you again that we are checking out, so to speak, over the next few weeks, different uh, episodes from Jesus post-resurrection. So, after His resurrection, uh, there are several things that occur as they are waiting for the promise of the Father, which is the promised Holy Spirit. And we have looked at two different scenes, both dealing with Peter and some of the disciples. Here is a scene uh, directly after the resurrection. And look with me here. Uh, at Mark 16, we'll go from verse 1 and move down to 11. <clears throat> when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him? But go tell His disciples and Peter that He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him, just as He told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when He rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is holy. Your Word is for us. Lord, would You make this Word for us this morning? Would You, by Your Holy Spirit, apply some of the teachings here, Lord, to our hearts so that we can be the people of God, Your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day, and it is Mother's Day, and yet this is not a holy day in the church. This is, uh, this is a, maybe a day of remembrance. Uh, maybe a day like Independence Day, and yet it's not a holy day that is celebrated worldwide around the church and has been celebrated, which is fine. We can, we can do celebrations. We, we do Friends Day. That's not a holy day, and yet Friend Day works. Um, and so we find ourselves on this Mother's Day, and it's not a holy day, and it's not necessarily a holiday. You didn't, probably didn't get a day off, did you? Uh, ladies, especially of young children, you, you, yeah, I know you didn't get a day off. All right, even even me trying to give Jessica a slight day off this morning, 
Uh, there's kids crawling into bed with her as she's trying to eat her breakfast in bed. Other kids asking her for things. It is Mama's Day. And truly that term, Mama, may not be the first word said out of, the, out of a kid's mouth. I mean, because developmentally it's easier to say Dada than it is to Mama. But once Mama is said, then they get the trick down, then Mama is said way more than Dada is, trust me. Uh, it just seems to be the case. And so, so you know, uh, none of us would be here this morning if it were not for a mother. All of us have a mother. We came from a mother. And so, you know, Eve may have uh, come from Adam in this sense, uh, in the scriptural text of Genesis 2, uh, and yet every other person comes from woman. So, Adam's the only one who comes first as far as male coming first. Everybody else comes from, from female. Uh, and these are basic things why we would celebrate a day like this, Mother's Day. And so the title of today's message is Ladies First. That's a playoff of a you know, known saying. And yet for our scriptural text here, aren't they first? They're absolutely first. You know, uh, here in the text, it may not be known to you as a shock, but it was a shock in the early church in the Roman context for women to have any type of premier position, uh, especially a position of witness. Now, in the Roman world, they could women could testify in court, but their testimony was not seen as substantial as a man's testimony. Uh, for various reasons that they had. Uh, it's a very patriarchal society, not so much today, but it is for them. Now, the Jewish laws as well prohibited woman, you know, a woman's testimony as having the same kind of uh, strength as a man's. And so, when the early Christians uh, wrote this down, when this event took place, and they identified women as being the first ones to see an angel or to hear of a resurrection, or to promote that, hey, he's not dead, he's alive. What does the text even say? They didn't believe it. So what they do? They sent a man. They sent Peter and James. Um, and yet the Christian testimony, the Christian witness, remains that women saw him first risen from the dead. You just heard Mary Magdalene saw him. He appeared to them. And of course they were told by an angel to go and tell the others. Now, you know, the accusation has been made that Jesus never really rose from the dead. I mean, we can't prove that is what we are told as Christians. We are told that the story was made up. That the early Christians just got together and made up a story. Well, if you were making up a story, you definitely wouldn't put in this world, this patriarchal world, you definitely wouldn't put women first to see Him. First to be witnesses, eyewitnesses of the scene. Um, you especially wouldn't put, as Mark puts here, a woman, not only a woman, but a woman who had seven demons at one point. You know, if you're looking for a good eyewitness, you don't look for... A weak one. You look for someone that's got that was there, that wasn't drunk, that wasn't this or wasn't that, that is reliable. 
you definitely wouldn't say, you know, her past, she actually was possessed of a demon. Seven of them. Seven of them. And she's telling us that he's risen from the dead. She's just loony. And yet what the text does here for us is it tells us a true story. Maybe one that is tough to believe. But aren't some things tough to believe? I mean, America stood up against a world power back in the day when we were a bunch of farmers. And we won! It's a miraculous story if you really think about it. If you would have told people that 50 years before it happened, they would have laughed at you. You're going to take on Great Britain? No. You're going to be crushed. The king will crush you. And yet, we did it. There's many miraculous stories. And what makes a story good is when it's true. Because true is always more surprising than made up, isn't it? I mean, just take your kids, for example. When they try to make up a story, you can tell it's made up. At least I can. I'm saying, what a weak story. That obviously doesn't happen. No, but when they're telling the truth, it's surprising and scary at the same time. Here in our text, uh, we have to understand that for Christians, for people who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you, me, myself here included, the resurrection is the one great miracle in the Bible. Now there's other miracles, there's also miracles. This one, without this one, none of the other ones matter. This is not coming from me, this has come from St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if the resurrection did not happen, then we are of all people vain. We need to just go home and give it up. There's no reason to keep believing this stuff. If it did happen, then it changes everything. Now, again, women are placed right here. This is God's design. Ladies first. Interestingly, in the Bible, it's the lady who sins first. Eve. And Paul will pick this up again in one of his epistles. So, Adam and Eve are created. Adam first, then Eve. And yet, Eve sins first. And yet, in the redemption story, God gives a promise of redemption not to Adam, but rather to Eve. And says, through woman will come one who will redeem the world. And when you really begin to think about it, the only way God could have used both male and female in the redemptive process would have been to do it just as He did it. The Son of God can't come from a man. Has to come from woman. So in His divine providence and great wisdom, through the very One who initiated us getting tangled into sin, He untangles us through Mary's obedience. Through Eve's disobedience, we begin to get tangled. And truly, Paul puts the blame on both Adam and Eve. But for our purposes this morning, notice that Eve is the first, and yet Mary is the first to bring redemption, and God uses both male and female in His redemptive plan. Yes, Jesus is a male, but 
Does the creed let us forget about Mary? Does the Bible let us forget about Mary? No, that's His mother. She is the mother of God and yet He created her. Don't you love the oxymorons that you can bring from Scripture? Mind-boggling. At the end of the day, faith is all that we'll do. Amen. <laughs> Isn't love like that? Love is mind-boggling. Sometimes I look back and I think of the sacrifice that my own mother made for my brother and I. At the time, I didn't understand it all. The love that she had, the prayers that she prayed, the nights that she worried and was prayerful through the night. I mean, I can promise you as I'm standing here that I would not be standing here if it wasn't for the prayers of my mother. That's a fact, Jack. And sometimes when I observe Jessica, um, I don't say it enough, just like our videos, you know, I don't say it enough how, how good of a mother she is, but sometimes when I see her mothering, loving our children, it, it really boggles my mind how she can do it. And I even tell her, I, I, don't, I can't do that, babe. I, I don't know how you do that. You know, she sees Picasso when there's just scribble on the page, you know. Um... And, you know, she sees a bouquet of flowers when there's only weeds. Um, our kids bring, you know, thankfully we don't have as many weeds as we used to have in the yard, but they still find them, and they bring those little, little dandelions to, to Mama, and she cherishes those when I knock them out of their hand. So it's a, it's a very different way of looking at the world. And I'm, and I'm, I'm seriously, I'm, I'm often at a place where it doesn't make sense to me, love. It's beyond reason that she would get up in the middle of the night to take care of a little guy. That in a woman's body are the tools by which all of us come. And so God uses women in this way in the Scriptures. You see all throughout Scripture, and you know this, from Eve, you go to Sarah, Sarai, whose name is changed to Sarah, who is barren, which is a curse in the ancient world. Uh, and yet, from a barren womb, not one that is fruitful, but from one that is barren, comes the redemption of the world, doesn't it? The promised child. God is in the business of taking what is dead taking what is wrong and writing it. Isn't that what salvation means? Isn't that what redemption means? It's not just a buying back. It's a correcting. And He does it through ladies. Ladies like Joanna, who was there, who came to the tomb. Mary Magdalene. We learned some of these names here from other Gospels outside of Mark. Mary Magdalene, who had um, been with Jesus. Uh, Magdalene was where she was from. It was on the west bank of the Sea of Galilee. Um, she was a witness of the crucifixion. These are eyewitnesses. We base our entire religion on what some women saw. Ladies first. <laughs> And Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Mary, mother of James. Mary, the wife of Clopas and Salome, as was mentioned in our text. I'm always struck when I come to Exodus. At the beginning of Exodus, there are two ladies that are mentioned by name and the Pharaoh's name is never mentioned. Now these two ladies are Egyptian midwives, so they're not even a part of the elect community. They're not a part of Israel. And yet, because they obey God, submit to God's way, do what's right, they were told to go and kill the Israelite children. That's what the Pharaoh had told them, the king, the ruler. He was God to them, remember? They were disobeying God to obey God. Little G, big G. And their two names are mentioned. These were servants. These were slaves, essentially. And their names are mentioned. And the Pharaoh's name's not mentioned. You think that's done on purpose? I think so. God's saying, look, you don't obey me. I don't care how big you are. I don't care if you are God. You won't be remembered. But you can find those ladies' names because they obeyed God. (laughs) You think of others who are in the line of Jesus. Ruth. Rahab. People that are outside of the covenant of promise. Prostitutes in their old life that are now redeemed and find themselves in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. And then you come, of course, to the Holy Mother, Mary. And although we might not, as Protestants, go as far as the Catholics do, sometimes I think we swing the pendulum too far to where we don't acknowledge Mary and her obedience out of fear that we might over-acknowledge Mary and her obedience. Do the same thing with communion. Do the same thing with the sacraments. We're scared that we're going to overemphasize And sometimes, of course, that is the case, but we should not underemphasize either. She fed Jesus from her own body. If you don't think that a boy and his mom have a special relationship, and that you don't think that Jesus has a special relationship with Mary, I absolutely think so. It's his mother. She raised him, she was with him. Joseph apparently died at some point. Uh, She was there at the cross. She, you know, was praying for him, encouraging him by her very presence. I mean, when your mom's there, you know, even if you're 30-something, it means something. It just does. I mean, when I did that triathlon last week, guess who's standing there cheering me on? It's my mother. I'm 33. Shouldn't make a big difference, but it does. You know, my dad, good job, man, that's all right, you know. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, she's just like a cheerleader. You know, she's going on and on, telling everybody at work, you know, which, which gives me a big head. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm the man, you know. Um, but to my dad, I'm not the man. I'm just, well, yeah, well, good job, whatever. Pat on the back, you know. Um, your mom means something. This, this means something. Uh, you know, today is a day um, of discrimination, Not in a bad way, but we discriminate today. Mothers, 
women. This is, this is a day for this. And you know what? God ultimately discriminates, doesn't He? Absolutely. I mean, look around this room. No one's the same. No fingerprint is the same. That's discriminating. That's distinguishing. That's, that's being distinct. That's a good thing. God, God likes distinction. He does not like equality in this way or everything would look the same. Everybody would be the same. Everybody's not the same. Nothing looks the same. God likes to design things that are multicolored, multifaceted. He likes variety. And yet our culture tries to draw us, don't they? Into this equalitarian, egalitarian type of thinking that men and women are the same. Interestingly, in the 90's, one of the most controversial covers of Time Magazine had this headline, Men and women are born different. You think? My four-year-old, well, five-year-old, sorry, my five-year-old could tell you that. Did tell me that yesterday. We're doing mulch, you know, doing this. He said, Daddy, guys are strong, aren't they? I said, yeah, but they are strong. He said, what about girls? I said, well, they're strong, just sometimes in a different way, buddy. He said, what about me? I said, well, you're a girl. I just kidding. <laughs> trying to tell me it was weak, you know. He knows there's differences. He sees the differences. Kids can tell the differences, and yet us adults sometimes, us in the intellectual world, want to make them the same. Men and women are not meant to be the same. We're meant to complement one another. That's how God designed us. He likes the variety. He likes His design of things. He likes you. He likes mothers. He likes fathers too. We live in a very evil time. Good news isn't good unless there's really bad news. And there's bad news. The one place in the world that should be most holy and sacred and safe for people has become a torture death chamber. Abortion. It's a stain. Nobody likes to hear about that on Mother's Day. And yet, there is no good news without the bad news. Wesley said, preach sin until they're convicted, then preach grace until they're converted. We must hear the bad news and wake up so that we can share the good news and be all the more ready to share it. If... Satan is going to destroy our society. He's going to have to destroy the family. That's how you destroy a society, is destroy the family. That's where his target is. It's on mothers. It's on fathers. It's on marriages. It's on family. It's on kids. None of us in this room are exempt. We're one of those people. We're kids, or we're parents, or we're husband and wife, or you're in transition. We need to repent. Repent for our nation. Repent for our own silence. Repent for our own inaction. 
When I was preparing for Mother's Day, um, the thought crossed my mind, I think it was as late as this morning, sadly, that one of the greatest mothers and most well-known mothers of our time was not a biological mother at all. Mother Teresa, whose scar, you know, whose whose face is not some model's face, airbrushed, is a very distinct face, very worn face, and yet the face of compassion and love. Who can't love that face? Because you know what that face did in the world for those who were forgotten. We in America have too much, are too rich. We don't even know it. All we can do is want more, which is what rich people do. On the other side of the world, however, there's mothers in Africa that have to choose when they have twins which will survive and which will die. Their body does not have the nourishment to breastfeed both. Our society is just inconvenient. Their society, it's life and death. God created women with a very unique and distinct, He discriminated, biological feature. And that is, they can make, hold, nurture people in their own body. That's just wild. Guys will never do that. Guys will never do that. By God's design, ladies receive and give all at the same time. Just like when you're putting computers together, there's a female part and there's a male part to your connecting. The female part's always on the receiving end. And the female receives in her body another. Isn't that a picture of God and us? Right here in our biology, there's a picture of what God wants to do in us. Aren't we the female, all of us in this room, the female in this relationship with God? None of us are the giver. He is Father. He is the groom. We are the bride. We receive. And we are meant to carry people in our bodies as Christians. Just like a mother has the very distinct role of being able to do that in her body. And she gives. Gives of her very body. Gives of her own resources. It's a beautiful thing, truly, to see a mom breastfeeding a baby. There's a connection that's made, that I'm told, between Jessica and her little dudes. As he looks up and she is feeding him by her body. God did that. We make it perverted. Perverted. 
We try to cover it up. We contracept it. We do all this other stuff to it. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a picture. It's a picture that we all come off of. Come out of. And should be a part of as Christians. And that is, we are now called to be the bearers of new Christians. This whole thing of being born again, isn't that a gestational picture? Absolutely. We must be born again, but you'll never be born again without a mother. You say, well, who's our mother in this spiritual sense? Well, Augustine, a long time ago, St. Augustine, he said, if God is our Father, then the church is our mother. Where are you nurtured in the faith? Where do you grow up? Where do you both receive and give yourself? It's the church. It's the church. The body of Christ. You know, you don't have to be a biological mother to be a mother to many. Mother Teresa showed us that, didn't she? She also said a very stark comment that once I heard it, it stuck with me. She said, any society where the mother can kill her baby is no society at all. Folks, that's us. That's our society. We live in some evil days. It's time for our mothers to raise up. It's time for our fathers to raise up. Christians, the church, to raise up and begin to nurture people to Christ. Begin to bear people in our bodies. Not be selfish and block that from happening, but rather so that others may live, we give of our own self. That's the way you got here. Somebody had to go through nine months of making you in their body. (laughs) And now we got you. Which is good. We're glad to have you. In a similar way, my salvation is not just my salvation. My mom was praying for me well before... I ever came out before I ever started being bad before I ever committed my first sin she was praying for me who are you praying for who are you going to bear this week in your body in your heart in prayer who are you going to take under your wing and protect We all are called to bear forth fruit. Fruit. Remember, one of the first, the first commandment in all the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. Now, that's kind of our theme verse here at Harvest Point. Not just biologically, but spiritually. We are a point of harvest in God's kingdom. One of, the, one of the visions I had in, in starting this church back in 2007 was that it could be a place 
where people really produce fruit for God's kingdom. Not just a place where we come and shake hands and say hi and sing and hear preaching, but a place where we can be energized, where we can strategize about how to actually bear forth fruit in one another's lives and for the sake of the world. Not just a place of being, but a place of doing. Moms are people who do. People of action. People that give of their own self, literally. Physically. And so should we. Proverbs 31 is a beautiful, wise... uh, passage of Scripture that talks about a woman who fears the Lord. Hear these words as we close. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her fruit, food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates and he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates." Amen.